a wonderful hymn. I think it just um, so well divides law and gospel for us, uh, the age to come, and the terrors that accompany uh, the coming of that age are well laid out here. And by the way, I know just the melody line of these hymns is present for you in the printed um, bulletin, but if you want to sing in parts, then uh, please refer to the LSB reference by each hymn, the Lutheran Service Book reference, if you want to do that. We bow our heads and pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Parents Magazine recently ran an article asking new mothers what labor, what childbirth is really like. And they got about 500 responses, and here are a couple of examples. Quote, the pain is like having your insides twisted, pulled, and squeezed. If I fought it, the pain became worse. Once I surrendered to and accepted the pain, it was more bearable. And another, quote, I would consider labor pains as menstrual cramps multiplied by a million. It feels like your abdomen is trying to squeeze out all its contents, not just the baby. The contractions come in waves and varying intensity throughout the laboring process. I would go from a pretty tolerable one to an extremely intense one the next time. I have a pretty high tolerance for pain, and it is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Well, you get the point. Birthing is not easy. And I want to skip ahead. This is page 11, the sermon outline. I want to skip ahead to point 1A. Point 1A. Intense pain in childbearing is unique to humanity. It's unique to humanity. Now, all mammals give birth. You know, horses, goats, uh, whales, right? They all give birth. But no species experiences pain to the degree that humans do. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, I think, captures this, where as a result of sin, you know, the, the man will have to eke out his living from the ground through painful toil. And then he says to the woman in verse 16, I will multiply your pain in childbirth your pain. Not that of the goats or the sheep, but your pain. Now the Bible has a lot to say about birth. In our gospel lesson for today, Jesus speaks of earthquakes and famines and epidemics, you know, outbreaks of disease, pestilences. He speaks about terror. He speaks about persecution of Christians and, and signs that are in the sun, moon, and stars. And this is all scary stuff. Now, Jesus speaks this way not only in our gospel reading for today from Luke 21, but also he says the very same things in Matthew 24. That's Matthew's version of the very same speech. Uh, Jesus speaks of wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, signs in the heavens. This is all the age to come. This is, this is the end of the world he's talking about. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, refers to all of these events in this way. He calls them 
birth pains, labor pains. Why does he call such terrible things labor pains? Well, because Roman numeral one, the world to come, that is the new heaven and earth that is coming, doesn't just appear, it is birthed. It's birthed. I cite Romans chapter 8. St. Paul writes these words, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the resurrection of our bodies. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation. He's the first installment of the new creation. But we are also new creations in Christ. We have the first fruits of the Spirit already. And yet that creation in you and in me is not yet complete. We're not resurrected and glorified yet. We're on our way. But we're not there yet. That's why we still experience pain, suffering, and death in this world, in this life. That's why our bodies become weak with age. That's why our loved ones pass away. We groan. All creation groans in labor because the world we're a part of is experiencing the difficult and laborious process of a new creation, a new world that's on its way here. Letter B. Jesus, this is a quote from him in our Gospel reading, verse 22. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Now Jesus here is describing God's vengeance upon Jerusalem. But that vengeance upon Jerusalem is but a microcosm of his vengeance upon all humanity. I cite Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. I have it written out there for you, where the Lord says, vengeance is mine and recompense. Now, what's recompense? Recompense is payback. God is paying you back. He's paying me back for what we have done to others. That is to say, we reap exactly what we sow. What we do to others will come back upon us. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. Now my friends, that is the judgment of God that we bring down upon ourselves because of sin. But the next verse, printed out for you, is amazing in that it contradicts, it subverts the previous verse. Verse 26, or 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people. He will justify his people. He will forgive his people. The very same people that he poured out wrath upon, he will forgive and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. You see, even in judgment, 
God remembers to be gracious, even though God allows us to suffer the consequences of our own sinfulness, he also chooses to forgive. And in the Bible, forgiveness is always a choice. It's not the result of, well, I'll forgive when I feel like it. You never feel like it until you forgive. It's always a choice. Even when we crucify God's Son and do our worst to Him, He is at work to save us in that very same crucifixion. The cross represents our rejection of Jesus, but the cross also reveals God's unconditional love toward all of us who put him on that cross. He died for us. Our sins made his death a necessity. That is to say, when you and I have no strength at all, God's strength will sustain us. When we are at our lowest point, God lifts us up. He allows us to experience these labor pains, the consequences of our sins, in order to bring us to repentance and to prepare us once again to receive his grace, his mercy. Letter C. God in Christ justifies the ungodly. He justifies the wicked, all of us. But how shall we escape? I'm quoting Hebrews 2. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And the context there, the writer of Hebrews is saying, if there were serious penalties for neglecting the law of Moses, how much greater are the penalties for neglecting the salvation that God has sent us and all the earth? And I cite 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, if we who believe in the gospel still suffer these labor pains, if we still suffer the consequences of our sin, how much worse will it be for those who refuse God's forgiveness in Christ? If we will not receive this salvation through Christ, there's no other salvation which God has to give. There's no salvation plan B. This is not like enrolling in a medical plan where you have options A, B, and C to choose from. You have only two options. You have Christ or you have condemnation. Those are the options. But please understand this, and this is important before you walk out of here today. You've got to hear this. Condemnation slash damnation is never the result of rejecting Jesus. Never. Condemnation is always the result of sin. St. Paul writes in Romans 5 that through the sin of one man, death came to all men. Condemnation came to all men. You see, we don't suddenly come under condemnation because we reject Jesus. We are already born under condemnation because of sin. And if we reject Jesus, we simply remain under the condemnation which we've always been under. Jesus, on the other hand, is God's rescue from condemnation. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Roman numeral two. Signs in the heaven and the earth, all this scary stuff. Letter A always accompany God's saving work. 
they always accompany his salvation. At the birth of Jesus, there was this star in the sky that led the Magi to the manger. And it, this was miraculous now. It led the way. It went before them until it stood over the place where the child was. At the death of Jesus, there are signs in the heaven. The sun goes dark. There's an earthquake and so on. And at the return of Jesus, verse 25, there are more signs in the heaven in our gospel lesson for today. All of these things accompany his saving work. Letter B, all this scary stuff, all these things are but labor pains of the world to come. They're labor pains. This includes the wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilence, even death itself. The new heaven and the new earth doesn't just appear, it is birth, and the birthing process is never easy. It never is. And just as a woman in labor experiences more and greater contractions at the time as the time of birth approaches, so it is with the end of the world. Things go from bad to worse before they get better. That's how birthing works. Jesus would have us know today that there is a difference between what appears to be in the world and what is really going on in the world. The world looks at what's happening and sees only one disaster after another, one death following another. But you and I see a birthing process. The new creation is being birthed out of the old. So while people in the world faint from fear, and live in dread at these things, as our gospel reading says. They faint with fear over these labor pains. Jesus says to us, do not fear. Straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is near. My friends, labor lasts only so long. And then a new life emerges. Every pain we suffer Every loss we endure only brings us closer to the glory that is to come. Let her see. Therefore, even in the midst of turmoil, we can receive comfort. We can receive comfort. I'm no different from you, and, and many circumstances in life cause me to worry. I worry every week about what I'm going to stand up here and say. But you know, God is always faithful. He always comes through. He's never let me down. God will work it all out. That's what his word proclaims. That's what our experiences reflect as well. That's what they reveal to us. God is faithful. And you know what's interesting? Those 500 mothers who, who reply to the question, what's it really like to give birth? Every one of them said, you know, it's all worth it. <laughs> it's all worth it. We wouldn't change it at all because of the outcome. And you know, St. Paul puts it this way. The sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. My friends, our sufferings, as painful as they are, and painful they are, they are but birth pains, of the world to come. They are, as bad as they seem, and as bad as they are, 
They are really God's way of reminding you and me that an entirely new and glorious life is soon to emerge. You know, in closing, I'll say that much preaching in recent years has focused on the here and now. Ministers want to be relevant. You know, we, we want to connect with you and all that stuff, right? And so the advice that many of us are given, it's been this way now for decades, it's getting old, but it's, it, this is the advice. Don't talk about the hereafter, talk about the here and now. Focus on today and what people are concerned about today. The problem with that is Scripture doesn't speak that way. Scripture keeps our focus on what is to be, what is to come. St. Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because to focus on those things that are to come, those things that will be, those things that are above, is the one thing that helps us live today as people of God. It's the most practical thing you can focus on. And the readings at the end of the church year and the beginning of the new church year focus on the end time. And the temptation as a minister is to say, oh, I'm over this, you know? It just goes on and on week after week. But that's because Scripture constantly reminds us of the same. To focus on the hereafter is the most relevant and prudent way to live in the here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.